Gate podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, August 26th. All of us in the tennis world eagerly awaiting the start of the year's final Grand Slam. It's crazy to say this out loud, but we are now less than four days away from the start of the 2022 U.S. Open. And of course, we here at Crack Rackets know it's our job to prepare all of you tennis fans for the year's final slam. Typically, how we do that is by providing a plethora of preview podcasts for all of you listeners. Now, unfortunately, this week, we just haven't quite quite had the time to do that. Why is that the case? Because our team is so fortunate to be serving as the on-site media for the 2022 WTA Tennis in the Land 250 event happening in Cleveland. As such, that event in Cleveland, as well as our two other tour-level events in Granby in Winston-Salem, have been the focus of these mini-break podcasts this week and will continue to be the focus on today's show. Now, why did I bring up the U.S. Open once again, because we finally have our content plan. How are we going to preview the year's final Grand Slam? We are going to provide a couple of mega podcasts for all of you listeners on Sunday. I've already booked my guests to help me preview the men's and women's singles draws, which of course were released on Thursday. Just a little tease for all of you Cracked Rackets listeners. David Gertler, our friend at Cracked Rackets contributor, is going to be joining me to break down the women's singles draw and David David Kane, our friend, of course, senior editorial producer over at Tennis.com, will be joining me to break down the men's draw. We're going to be recording those podcasts and getting those out to all of you listeners on Sunday. Within those podcasts, not only will we break down the draws, but we'll talk about the top contenders in each section of the draw. We'll talk about the dark horses in each section of the draw. We'll break down the most interesting early round matchups. They will be mega preview podcasts. I would be shocked if each of those episodes were less than an hour and a half in length because, again, we're going to be playing catch-up on Sunday and hopefully providing all of you listeners with the information you need to know heading into the year's final Grand Slam. Of course, throughout the course of the 2022 U.S. Open, we'll have two podcasts for all of you listeners every day. We'll have one podcast in the morning, likely recapping the previous day's action. We'll also have one podcast coming out around 4, 5, 6 p.m. each and every day where I will offer my picks for the next day's action. So preview podcast, recap podcast, we're going to have it all for you here at Crack Rackets over the course of the 2022 U.S. Open. That said, obviously, we do apologize for not providing the typical preview podcast we love to do. Thankfully, again, we have, I like to think, a legitimate excuse. It's not because we're on vacation. It's not because we're slacking. It's because we've been busy this week serving our roles as on-site media for the 2022 tennis in the land WTA 250 event happening in Cleveland. Of course, on this podcast today, I want to recap all the action that happened in Cleveland on Thursday, as well as discuss the action that happened in Granby, Canada, as well as Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the site of our two other tour-level events happening this week. Of course, uh, a massive shout-out to our friends at Top Notch Management, Sam Duvall, Kyle Ross, the entire Top Notch team for allowing super producer Daniel Westoff and I to dare I say pejoratively, as the kids say, cook a little bit uh, with the things we are doing on site. Of course, I've been 
able to serve as MC super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos producing an entire WTA 250 product. It's been such a learning experience and we've had so much fun over the course of the past six days and to all of the tennis fans and there have been a healthy amount of you who have come up to us and you know expressed your support for Cracked Rackets. I can't emphasize enough how much that means to super producer Daniel Westoff and I. The opportunity to you know poke fun at Dalton for missing fun at all of these compliments, uh, missing out on all of these compliments or missing out on getting to meet all of you listeners. It's a fun pastime for us when we're not on court doing what we do. So immensely grateful for all of you who have taken the time to come up and say hello. And if you will be in Cleveland for the final two days of the Tennis in the Land event, continue to come say hello. Just a little sneak peek for all of you listeners. Mama and Papa Gruskin, my mother and father, will be here on Friday and Saturday. So if you'd like to, you know, perhaps poke fun or see the minds behind the podcast host you hear each and every day on this show, come say hello to them. I know it would mean the world to my mother if just one person goes up to her and says, oh my God, I'm such a fan of your son. She'll be like, oh my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. The problem is if you actually meet my mom, you'll realize my impression of her is entirely inaccurate. I like to think I have the ethos of my mother locked down, but uh, the actual voice itself is a massive mockery and not in the slightest what she actually sounds like. That said, again, we are extraordinarily excited to continue to work in Cleveland, extraordinarily excited for these final two days of the event. That said, who are we going to see competing? On Friday and Saturday? Well, that's what I want to discuss on today's show. And again, not only talk about Cleveland, where, in my opinion, we had the single best match of the day. Bernie P., Bernarda Pera, earning her 19th victory, 19th victory in her last 20 matches. And, you know, I thought her win over Sonia Kennan may have, A, been her most impressive victory throughout the course of that run, but B, was probably the most significant match of the day because not only did Bernie P. continue to do what she does, but dare I say, I think Sonia Kennan might be back. I think we're slowly but surely starting to see Kennan return to the form that obviously allowed her to be a top five player in the world, allowed her to reach two Grand Slam finals win the, in 2020 and win that 2020 Australian Open, had the opportunity to sit courtside for that match, obviously have a plethora of thoughts from it that I'd like to share with all of you listeners today. Outside of that, when you look at Cleveland, I mean, Ludmilla Samsonova, I know Gil Gross tweeted out yesterday in response to my hype of her on social media that he guarantees she'll make a quarterfinal in the next four slams. I love you, Gil. I really don't think that's that bold of a take. I mean, Samsonova now has won eight consecutive matches and just the power tennis she's able to play. I know I talked about it yesterday, but it's stunning. She was stunning in command in a victory yesterday. We can talk about that, talk about the wins from Sasanovich, Alize Cornet as well, of course. I also do want to get into Granby, want to get into Winston-Salem as well. We have a couple of ideal matchups, and actually things went exactly according to plan, or at least the script we were hoping was going to unfold unfold in Granby, Daria Kasatkina as anticipated into the semifinals where she's going to face former world number one uh, former world junior number one, excuse me, Diane Perry. I want to talk about each of their victories briefly and then uh, obviously look at the other side of the draw where it'll be Daria Seville taking on Marta Kostyuk, at least in theory. I'll explain why that's in theory, not in reality uh, throughout the course of today's show. And then we can get into Winston-Salem. 
How about Botik van de Senschkop? He's got quarterfinal points to defend at the U.S. Open coming up next week. He's certainly stashing a nice bunch of points to just, you know, provide a little backup option, make life a little bit easier, a little less pressure packed for him over the course of the next two weeks as he is into the semifinals in Winston-Salem played. I mean, certainly the men's match of the day, but, oh, was it the men's match of the day? Maybe the highest level I saw from start to finish in any match, but an impressive victory for him. We can get into that. Talk about wins from Manorino, Marc-Andre Hussler, and then how about Laszlo Jura, who has been the cardiac king, cardiac king, cardio king. That's the term I was looking for, cardio king throughout the course of the week. Certainly another dramatic victory for him in Winston-Salem, but again, I know that was a long introduction. I wanted to let all of you listeners know what our U.S. Open coverage plan is. I promise you we will have preview podcasts for all of you listeners on Sunday. And uh, obviously looking forward to that event, of course, again, here today. I want to focus on the actual action that's unfolding this week. By the way, on Sunday, we'll record a qualifying recap podcast as well to talk about everything that unfolded in the U.S. Open qualifying rounds. As Sunday is when we officially make the turn to talking about everything. Thing surrounding the year's final Grand Slam. With all that said, of course, the reason we're able to do these podcasts day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. And I'll keep it brief since this introduction has been far too long already. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's start with Cleveland. What a phenomenal match between Bernardo Pera and Sonia Kennan. It was a match that featured exceptional shot making from the start. And you look for Bernarda Pera, again, 19 victories now in her last 20 matches. You look for her in terms of the WTA live rankings. Obviously, you go on a run like that, you're going to reach a new career high. Bernie P now up to number 45 in the WTA live rankings. Perhaps more impressively, you look for her in the points race. Again, 47th, but a victory today. She'll start creeping up towards that top 40. She's been that good. And I think she's been even better than that over the course of the past two months. And I know I alluded to this yesterday. I alluded to it on Twitter as well throughout the course of her match against Kennan. But if you don't have elite power, if you don't have some sort of weapon that can disrupt the rhythm of Bernarda Pera, you're just not going to beat her. Because Sonia Kennan threw the kitchen sink at her yesterday. Kennan threw in all the drop shots, all the lobs, all the short angles, all the changing of directions. And certainly in the second set, she seemed to have broken Bernie P's rhythm a bit. The keyword there being a bit, you know, for Para. I think the fact that the crowd, and it was an electric crowd, on Thursday night in Cleveland. You know, I know this doesn't sound like the big number, but 600, 700 people strong, and you could hear every one of them throughout the course of that quarterfinal match. The crowd was willing Sonia Kennan on in that second set because the crowd really wanted to enjoy a third. That speaks to the quality of tennis. No one wanted this match to end. And, you know, credit to Bernarda Pera, who... If you're just not ready at the start of the match, if there's any sort of hesitation or, you know, your legs aren't quite underneath you in those first two games, she's going to race out to a two-love lead, going to race out to that early break lead, and now you're playing from behind. And what was so impressive about Bernarda Pera, the moment she got a neutral ball or the opportunity to be aggressive, but even more important because every player that's a professional. If you have the opportunity to be aggressive, they're going to take it. Not every player, but the majority of players, particularly the successful ones. But it wasn't even just 
aggressive opportunities. It was from neutral. The racket speed Bernardo Perrick generates, again, on that forehand wing, it's just devastating. And her ability to go inside out, inside out, inside in with her lefty forehand combinations. Again, that's from the deuce side of the court. She opens up the court, goes forehand from the deuce side to her opponent's deuce side. Forehand deuce to the opponent's deuce. Then she'll take that next ball inside in or down the line, attacking the Kennan backhand when Kennan was on a run. the run. It was just devastating in set number one. And again, she had Kennan on a string to use one of my favorite quotes of late. Shout out to Ariana Grande. She had Kennan going side to side. And with all due respect to Sonia Kennan, she just wasn't able to find her footing, wasn't able to play inside the baseline, wasn't able to change direction well enough to disrupt the rhythm of Bernarda Pera. And again, yes, the forehand's the moneymaker, but the drive on her backhand wing, her ability to play that ball cross-court comfortably, going her lefty backhand to an opponent, uh, a righty opponent's forehand, and then her ability to take that ball down the line, her willingness to move forward, even if she's not the best volley or she's a competent volley who understands when the space, the moment, the opportunities present themselves, she has to push forward. I mean, again, you look for Bernie P. That first set was exceptional. She got up an early break. I believe it was 3-1. She held on from there. And, you know, again, set number two, Kennan threw everything at her. And that's where you talk about a vintage Kennan performance. The drop shot was effective. Not that Bernie P. is a bad mover, but Kennan said, look, neutral in the center of the court or, you know, waiting for my opportunities, that's not going to do it anymore. I have to take some risk. I have to start taking my backhand a little bit earlier up the line. She had to start taking, you know, playing the drop shots, playing the short angles, just forcing Bernardo Pera into uncomfortable positions on the court. And I know that sounds kind of obvious. Like, why wouldn't you want your opponent to do that? Well, the problem is if you leave that ball, you're going for the short angle or you're going for the drop shot short, you know, right now, Bernardo Pera playing such efficient tennis, she's going to punish you for even the slightest of mistakes. Kennan didn't make many mistakes, and according to my calculation, she had fewer than six unforced errors in set number two and just, again, was physically locked in and, you know, started tracking down that plus one ball from Bernie P and throwing the elevated loopy lands on the baseline, though, so there's not really anything you can do with it unless you take it out of the air, you know, sort of garbage ball that's so effective and allows Sonia Kennan to buy time for herself and then make you uncomfortable. And look, when Kennan's taking her return on the rise, when she's being the aggressor, uh, obviously we know the talent, the level of tennis she's capable of playing. And she reached that level in the second set because Bernardo Pera did not play poorly in set number two. The counter, you know, Sonia Kennan just matched her level and, you know, five, six, Bernardo Pera serving for the set. Yes, she threw in a double fault. But, and I believe it was her only double fault of the match, or maybe one of two double faults she had. But, Kennan's ability to step up early inside the baseline, in particular, she drove a couple of early backhand returns down the line, both on the add and do side, that just took time away from Bernarda Perra, which is what you have to do. Kennan ultimately secures the second set, 7-5. But, look, then in set number three, Perra made the adjustment. All of those loopy lobs in that elevated neutral ball that Kennan was throwing, Bernard Perra started taking them out of the air. 
taking that extra half second away from Sonia Kennan. She was hitting also her inside-out forehand to the Kennan forehand wing about as well as I have seen any lefty hit that inside-out forehand this season on the WTA Tour. Obviously, again, for Bernarda Pera, it's now her fourth semifinal in her last four events, and how could it not be, given she's won 19 of her last 20 matches? But you just look at the numbers for her right now. I mean, they're absolutely laughable. She's held serve at, in tour-level matches 77.8% of the time. That number would rank fourth. She's breaking serve 45.2% of the time. That number would rank sixth amongst top 50 players. She's a top 10 clubber, you know, again, and it's Buzkova-esque or Ivashka-esque in that she's doing it at a lower level, but she is pummeling everyone she's supposed to beat. And then today against a player who could at least match her physicality, match her shot-making ability, was able to absorb that plus one ball. Paris stayed steady. You know, there was no wavering. There was no dip in her level of play. Bernie P was exceptional. And again, all the credit in the world to Sonia Kennan, who threw the kitchen sink, who I thought looked better physically in that third match than she's looked at any point this season. She is slowly but surely regaining her form, even if at the end of the match, you know, again, set number three, I mentioned the fact she made fewer than five unforced errors in set number two. I thought set number three, the unforced errors, particularly towards the end, piled up. You could tell she was getting frustrated that she just, you know, Para was giving her nothing for free, and it was a little bit more difficult for Kennan to manufacture easy points throughout the course of this match against elite competition, which is something to keep in mind, something she'll have to do if she wants to resume her, or regain her top 10 ranking, but... Man, I'm all in on Bernarda Pera, who has a significant test in the semifinal. And I mentioned this on Twitter. I think the three players playing best right now in the WTA Tour, Caroline Garcia, or at least the three hottest players on the WTA Tour, 2022 Western Southern Champion, Caroline Garcia, Bernarda Pera, who's won 19 of 20, and then Ludmilla Samsonova, who's won eight in a row. And again, goes up a break, two love in set number one, goes up a break, Two love in set number two, or it might have been 3-1 in set one, but two love in set number two, and just hold on to it to earn a 6-4, 6-3 win over Magda Lynette, and I'm not going to linger on this match too much, but simply put, her power tennis is going to blow you away. And yesterday, she served significant, even though she hasn't served that great this week, she's only making, you know, she hasn't eclipsed the 60% mark in terms of a first serve make percentage in any of her three matches doesn't matter. She's winning over, you know, 77% of her first serve points in all three of her matches. And you look for her yesterday was only broken once, but was, you know, quickly able to get that break back. And because she had the early break lead in set number two, that she seeded that break back midway through, she was still in front, I believe three, two at the time and immediately was able to get that break of serve back. And just, it's the explosion combined with the fluidity. Forehand, backhand, wing, doesn't matter. She moves extraordinarily well for a player who's like 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". There's not an ounce of fat on her body and just the racket speed's extraordinary. The pop off the ball, the depth she's able to generate. She also hit the short angle backhand cross court yesterday that even like super producer Daniel Westhoff and I looked at each other. I think it was in at 4-3, like love 15 or 4-3, love 30. She was returning, something like that. And she hits this short angle cross court backhanded. Both Westhoff and my draws dropped. It was just like, this girl is freaking special. And so again, all in on Ludmilla Samsonova. And I agree with Gil. I do think she's going to make a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam in the next four slams. I think she's going to be a factor. And you know I don't throw I throw around Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club a lot to throw around inclusion in that club. You know, again, 
Rabakina, we always said she had weekend privileges. She could golf. She could eat the meals. We thought she was going to eventually get there. She gets there at Wimbledon. I think right now you ask me who are the two players in the queue in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Amanda Nisimova unequivocally has to be in that queue. And then I think Ludmilla Samsonova at 23 years old, you know, turns 24 mid-November. But, man, I'm excited to see what the rest of the decade holds for her because she has those sorts of weapons. Look, Magda Lynette played well, absorbed the first strike, was able to redirect some. She was just trailing the entire time. And Samsonova's fourth best in hold percentage amongst top 50 players. If you're playing from behind, you're screwed against her because not only is she going to hold serve comfortably, but then she's allowed to be that much more aggressive on the return of serve. And Samsonova never needs an excuse to be more aggressive, but she certainly had one yesterday. And again, she was phenomenal. There is no doubt in my mind, if you can only watch one match on Friday, with all the U.S. Open qualifying, with all the Winston-Salem Granby action, the match you have to watch is Bernardo Pera versus Ludmilla Samsonova. And Pera, 1-0 in the career head-to-head against Samsonova. That match uh, obviously held under much different circumstances given, you know, Samsonova enters on an eight-match win streak, Pera 19 out of her last 20. But that's your match of the day on Friday. It's not particularly close either. With that said, other results in Cleveland, and I know I'm lingering on this one the longest, but folks, I was there. I was courtside. This is what I saw. So I hope you, uh, will, all of you listeners will indulge me and understand why I'm speaking at length about this. And by the way, throughout the course of the U.S. Open, another promise I have to make to all of you listeners because I saw a comment on Apple iTunes, and I know you're not supposed to let the comments get to your head in this game, but of course they do. I want feedback from all of you listeners. I want to know what you like, what you don't like. We had a commenter say he's not the biggest fan of the solo podcast. He prefers when we have guests on to help analyze all the action and, you know, the repartee, the rapport back and forth between myself and some of our favorite guests. I'm glad he thoroughly enjoys those podcasts, and as such, I'm going to try and have a guest on at least every other day during the U.S. Open to help us break down the action. Now, the preview podcast will be solo, uh, but to break it all down, I'm going to try and, again, have a guest on every other day. That said, to continue our conversation on Cleveland, how about Alexandra Sasnovich? Just was extraordinarily disciplined in knocking off the always pesky Madison Brangle 6-4-6-1 yesterday. Sasnovich only broken once throughout the course of the day, wins 70% of her first serve points, 50% of her second serve points is just extraordinarily efficient. And again, is there any singular elite skill for Alexandra Sasnovich? All due respect, she's exceptional, but she's not elite at anything. She's just good at everything. Comfortable with the serve, comfortable attacking on the forehand, the backhand wing, pretty fluid mover in and out of the outer thirds of the court. And you look for Sasnovich, it's kind of been a career season for the 28-year-old. You look for her now overall 32-16 and 16 on the year. She's into just her second semifinal of the season, but as I alluded to yesterday, she's reached a career high five tour-level quarterfinals this week. And yeah, I'm all in on Alexandra Sasnovich, the 28-year-old. All all in's the wrong word. Uh, She's playing extraordinarily well. You're going to have to do something special to beat her right now because, again, Cerebas Tormo, Krunich, Brangle now, none of them had elite weapons as such. She remained disciplined enough and 
could do enough different things to break each of those players down against Brangle, whether it was taking the return of serve as an approach shot, essentially, and just remaining aggressive, even when some errors piled up midway through that first set, because, you know, she's up an early break in the first, and credit to Brangle, who just kept fighting, scrapping, clawing, putting Sasnovich under pressure, you know, making that extra ball, throwing the forehand slice, but nothing threw Sasnovich off her game. And again, 28 years old, you should be playing the best tennis of her, your career, up to number 34 in the live rankings, which is four off her career high ranking of number 30, 32 and 16 overall on the year. Again, she's winning two-thirds of her matches. That's a career high for her in terms of a single-season win percentage on the WTA Tour. She's holding serve 67.9% of the time. That's a career high. She's breaking serve 38.8% of the time, which is slightly above the average of a top 50 player and, uh, you know, uh, right around a top 25 number. Sastovich is just in the ball game. She's really solid all the way around. And you look at who the losses are to of late. Yeah, tough loss for her. 7-6 in the third in Cincinnati to the hometown favorite, Katie McNally. And I was at that match. I thought the crowd had much to do with that as anything else. But, you know, outside of that, who have the losses been to of late? Jabour in Berlin. Garcia in Bad Hamburg. Bernarda Pera in Budapest. You know, Martina Trevisan, 6-5 at the Roland Garros round of 16. But she had beaten Kerber, beaten Raducanu to get to that point. Sasnovich is playing good ball. Don't sleep on her uh, as she reaches, again, the semifinals here in Cleveland. And now she's going to take on Alizé Cornet, who she's 2-1 against overall in her career. And look, Alizé Cornet is just a grinder. I mean, defensive, certainly a defensive tennis player, but she's going to make that extra ball. And that's all she did yesterday against Jung Shui, just extra ball after extra ball, you know, on the stretch, that slice forehand just dropping in just in front of the baseline or just, you know, again, getting just enough depth on it to where it wasn't the easiest approach for Jung Shui to where she had to, you know, either manufacture a little extra pace uh, or try and, you know, come up with something special. And I know it was a 6-4, 6-2 scoreline for Cornet. That match was far closer than the scoreline would indicate. I thought Jung Shui played really good tennis. She remained aggressive even when Cornet was frustrating her, but Alize just found answers. And you look now for Alize Cornet who entered the year uh entered the week, excuse me, below 500 for the season. She's back above it. 20 and 19 overall. You look for her second semifinal of the year, uh first semifinal for her on hard courts and you know again, she's yet to drop a set this week. She's just been highly efficient. She's only been broken once on serve even though I think they played what 10 they played 18 total games. I believe 13 of the 18 games featured at least one deuce yesterday. So, again, that 6-4, 6-2 scoreline, extraordinarily deceiving. But, man, credit to Alizé Cornet. Uh, I thought she's playing really good ball this weekend. Again, considering she was rumored to be thinking about retiring at the start of the season, she shouldn't be. She's still locked in physically and can just do things and extend rallies and make tennis really, really fun in ways a lot of other players can't. So, credit to Alizé Cornet and... Look, I mean, it's going to be a really fun home stretch of this event. Ludmilla Samsonova, 66.1% favorite over Bernarda Pera, but obviously both coming in exceptional form. And Sasnovich, 57.1% favorite against Alize Cornet. I don't think either of those players do anything definitively better than the other. I think Sasnovich is a little bit more aggressive, probably a little bit better attacking, can generate a little bit more pace on the ball, but you know, give me the defensive skills of Alize Cornet to respond to that pace, and she'll continue to put the pressure on Sasnovich. In terms of Pera versus Samsonova, just buckle in. 
that one's going to be delightful. And I am extraordinarily excited to see the action unfold. As again, we continue uh, to sit courtside here. Our Cracked Rackets seems so excited to play a part in this week's Tennis in the Land action. With that said, let's rapid fire through some of the other action happening on tour this week. Let's start on the women's side in Granby. Again, Daria Kasatkina getting exactly the week she needs heading into the U.S. Open. I mentioned this yesterday. She loses first round in Canada, first round in Cincinnati, faces a little adversity in round one in Canada, but three-set win over Minnen, straight-set win over Magdalena Freak. then yesterday straight-set win over Nuria Prizas-Diaz, where, again, Prizas-Diaz couldn't hurt her, and if you can't hurt Kasakina right now, you're just not going to beat her. And I had a fascinating conversation with Razor Rosenthal, my friend Brian Rosenthal. Of course, Rob Simulcare was uh, on that show as well. We went on to Razor's show. And, you know, Rob made the case for Kasatkina as a dark horse entering the 2022 U.S. Open. I don't even know if she's a dark horse. And we'll talk about it when we go through our draw preview. She's been that good. She's been as consistent as any player in the women's game this uh, year. She's regained her rhythm. Yes, she's playing lower ranked of players, but... What do you have to do to get to the fourth round of the U.S. Open if you're a top 15 seed? you got to beat three players who are ranked lower than you. And right now, Daria Kasatkina just beats everyone she's supposed to beat. Now, I haven't looked at her draw specifically. If there's, say, you know, uh, an Anisimova third-round matchup, you probably take the power tennis of Anisimova or one of those power tennis players who can do something elite, like a Rabakina. Maybe you do take them over a Kasatkina, but you have to do something elite to beat Daria Kasatkina. And obviously this week, no one in Granby has been quite capable of doing that. Of course, beyond Kasatkina now. She's going to take on Diane Perry. How about Diane Perry making the most of this week into the semifinals in Granby? And you look now uh, for Perry. She's up to a new career high, number 74 in the WTA rankings. Of course, 20 years old. That's, uh, excuse me, 19 years old, soon to turn 20 years old. That's exactly where you want to be. At this point of your career, just getting to play tour-level events, getting to somewhat set your own schedule moving forward. Of course, you look for her overall on the year now in terms of tour-level semifinals uh, that she's made this season. And in fact, let's look in terms of tour-level semifinals she's made overall in her career now. This is the first semifinal. That's about to be a tweet, folks. By the way, be on the lookout for it coming up. First career tour level semifinal. First of, in my opinion, many for the world former world junior number one, who on yesterday's show I compared to Justine Ennen. If you'd like to hear why, I would go check that out. Of course, Kasatkina Perry, uh, an ideal semifinal matchup. Of course, you only have the one match in Grand B today as Daria Seville going to advance to the final after Marta Kostyuk forced to withdraw following her three-set victory over Rebecca Marino. Now, uh, again, this was a very good performance uh, for Kostyuk to get a couple wins under her belt. She needed it heading into New York, but she said she had a bit of a shoulder injury, so she pulled the ripcord prior to the semifinal. You can understand why she made that decision, given we do have the U.S. Open on the horizon. Good result, though, by the way, for Daria Seville, who has played really good tennis of late, and it was obviously so disappointing to, you know, she's played so well at the City Open before she had to retire due to, or didn't retire due to injury, but was clearly a bit hobbled due to injury, and you know, you look for Seville now. It's her first final since 2017. So we're going to have a double-related Grand B tweet uh, uh, for all of you listeners coming up momentarily as, again, we've got two big facts. First career tour-level semifinal for Diane Perry. Uh, first final for Daria Seville since 2017. With that said, again, I want to quickly head on over to Winston-Salem. 
what are every coach's two favorite words in tennis? Tall, lefty. That's what you've got in Marc-Andre Hussler, the qualifier, into the semifinals of Winston-Salem via a 4-4 and victory over Jack Draper. I mean, he just, he was out in front from the get-go. Early break of Draper in set number one, and when he's up a set, he can just be that much more aggressive on the return of serve, and you look for Hoosler overall in his career. The break percentage is under 20%. He'd be a bottom 10 returner amongst top 50 players, but he also holds 85% of the time, and again, tall, lefty, comfortable serving and volleying, comfortable moving forward. You look for him now overall in his career, second career tour-level semifinal, the first coming back in Kitzbühel back in 2020, but Again, Hussler, you know, turns tw- turned 26 years old in June. A guy who's in the prime of his career, and you look now for Mark Andre Hussler uh, with his result here in Winston Salem. He's back into the top 100, and I believe it should be a new career high uh, for Hussler. And in fact, you look as uh, it, 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 you look for him. It is indeed a let's see, Mark Andre Hussler up to new career uh, high of number 85 in the live ranking. Sorry, I clap when I have a correct take. And again, the tall lefty, he just had Draper stretched, uh, you know, elite power tennis. Draper was clearly, you know, uh, Draper just couldn't find ways to hurt him. Couldn't find his rhythm on the return of serve. But again, it was an elite serving performance from Hoosler more than anything Draper did poorly. Outside of that, your best performance on the day, Botik van de Senschkulp, who just, just a little bit better. Had a little more pace on the forehand, you know. Played two really good tie breaks against Benjamin Bonzi. Wins the match 6-6. Six and six. It was a delightful tennis. No two points looked the same. There wasn't any definitive advantage for either player. Exciting, exciting stuff. Uh, credit to Adrian Manorino. Earns an early break. You know, breaks Max Cressy right out the gate. And really nice backhand down the line. Passing shot in that opening service game to break Cressy. Go up one love in set number one. And, you know, 6-4, six, 7-6. That's exactly how you have to beat Max Cressy. You got to protect your serve. You got to do the little things well. Manorino was locked in, gets a much needed semifinal performance. As you look for Manorino, he's fallen down the rankings a bit, but now back up to number 54, up 11 spots this week uh, with his result. He's been a guy who's been in the top 50 forever. But how about Laszlo Jura, who has had struggled of late? Just, you know, again, lost what was it, nine consecutive tie breaks. Now he wins another 7 6 in the third, this time against Richard Gasquet. He down 6-4 in the third set breaker. Gasquet serves to the Jura forehand, as one should do, as the Lazo Jura forehand is clearly the more vulnerable of his two wings. And Jura comes up with a forehand cross-court return winner. That's clutch. That's clutch, folks. Ultimately, again, takes the set, uh, the third set, 7-6, able to advance to the semifinals. Do I think any of these players are particularly dark horsey? entering the 2022 U.S. Open? No, not really. Like, if Hoosler serves well, sure. Uh, Botic can have success. I don't think he's a dark horse to make it any further than the round of 16 because I think there are enough players who could do enough elite things that it becomes a little bit harder for him to hurt them. Uh, but it's been a fun week of action in Winston-Salem. And I know, again, this podcast was very Cleveland-centric, but I promise you we're going to dive into everything New York-related over the course of the next coming days. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, on the ones and twos, makes all of this content possible. Shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, I know it's an abrupt ending, but for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Ruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.